Father, it is an honor and a privilege to have this uh, opportunity to praise you this morning. We dare not take for granted that reality that uh, we get to do this thing. We get to plan it week in and week out that we're going to be in a house, in the house of God with the people of God to, to sing your praises and to eat, to dine at your word. And there are many who don't have this privilege for whatever reason, whether they be sick, whether they live in a country where this is illegal. Um, Father, the reality is that you are worthy of all praise and we are the recipients of your grace and your kindness. And it is purely unmerited. We don't deserve it. We did nothing to earn it. You were just kind to us, to a rebel people. Lord, thank you for being kind to us, a rebel people who regularly ignore you, regularly are dependent upon ourselves rather than the spirit that you've put within us as believers to depend on and to lean on. Our own wisdom tends to be our guiding light rather than the truth of your word. And yet, even in the midst of all that, I praise you that I'm not God and that we are not God. You are still kind and gracious and patient with the broken people. I am a chief among us of the broken. Father, this morning, my desire and prayer is that uh, they would, the people of God would encounter you in a unique way, in a special way. Lord, that they would hear your words and that it wouldn't be my creativity that, 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 that changes the disposition of their heart because I lack in that, in that field, but it would be the truth of your word that does work in their soul and that they would leave here different than how they were when they came in. And I pray that I leave here different than how I came in. And, as, and the difference, Lord, is that we are closer to Jesus as a result of being here this morning. And so, Father, have your way with this word. Have your way with our singing, with our praise. Fix our plans. Do what you want to do, and then help us to come alongside what you want to do. Be glorified, O King. You are worthy. There's nobody like you. May the people of God say, Amen. Amen. Beloved, um, before we start, I want to just make you aware of a couple of resources, tools, things to help you grow in your walk with God. Um, we have these little booklets um, from the CSB script. It's called the CSB Scripture Notebook. And since we're going through the book of Galatians, we thought it fitting to get the book, uh, uh, notebook with the book of Galatians. And on this side is the text and on this side is just open notes for you to write and delve into. So if you don't have a notebook, or you need a notebook. We have these for you. They're free. They're in the back in the hallway. They're for you. And another thing we have for you is for your daily walk with the Lord. Um, I want to encourage you. A lot of us don't really know how to engage God throughout the week. And so uh, one thing that we prescribe to our people here at Pillar Church is the CBR journal. This journal will help you have a, a daily time with God and it will instruct you on in how to listen to God's voice through the reading of his word. And so I want to encourage you. These are also in the back. Uh, they're free. They're for you. And hopefully through these tools, God will draw you closer to himself uh, and you'll be able to worship him through the reading of his word. Amen. We're going to uh, continue in the series in the book of Galatians, so go ahead and open up in your copy of God's Word to the book of Galatians. We're going to be in chapter 2 today as we're continuing a series in Galatians, emphasizing the reality of our freedom in Christ. Uh, while you're turning there, I don't know if, you know, 
hopefully this doesn't trigger anyone, but this weekend, uh, uh, this past week, I watched a documentary. There's a documentary out on Bill Cosby. And, you know, everybody here has lived through the recent history of Bill Cosby, and that documentary does the same. It kind of walks through the history of that man, and it highlighted so much of the good that that man did uh, for black and brown people in particular in this country and how he, he, he pushed for change and reform and he used his platform uh, to empower many. But that's not where it stopped. He also used his platform for immoral, harmful, shameful, selfish gain. And no matter where you fall on the pendulum of thinking that Bill Cosby is innocent or Bill Cosby is, is guilty, no matter your opinion on that, this is what's true and what's sure. His immoral actions, and this is the key word for this morning, it undermined his long-term influence and success. Right? And, and so if you're going to be about something, know that every decision you make is going to either bolster your mission or underline, undermine your mission. So if you're about community work, know that your moral life will either bolster that community work or will undermine it. If you teach children, know that your life, your personal life, will either bolster that work or will undermine your work. And in this particular case, the case of Bill Cosby, his moral life undermined so much of the good and the success that was had through the power that he possessed. I don't know if you've ever been the victim of undermining, whether you did something that undermined your own work, or maybe you've been the victim of being undermined. And I was undermined by my kids last week. We were cleaning the house, and my, my kids know how to use Clorox wipes. And so we give them a Clorox wipe, and everybody gets one they're cleaning, and I'm, I got the bathroom. And so I'm like, all right, baby, here we go. Here's a Clorox wipe. I want you to wipe the top of the toilet down and then the, the, the toilet seat down, okay? And then when you're done, let me know. And I left the room. And so my baby girl up there, and she wiping, you know, she going in. And I'm like, cool, I leave. I come back about five minutes later, and I notice that she did the floor. And she decided to go ahead and do the toothbrushes. <laughs> she did all the doorknobs in the kitchen table. Now, I was already kind of like, dang, she did the toothbrushes. But then, as I lifted the toilet seat, I noticed that there was water splashed from the toilet on the floor. And so I said, baby, did you, did you do the inside of the toilet? She said, yeah, daddy. I said, baby, did you, did you clean the toothbrushes with that Clorox wipe? <laughs> yeah, I did this one. OK. You did, you did the kitchen table with the same one? Yeah, because it was already wet. I said, dang, okay, you try to kill us. She, she, she undermined my ministry. My ministry was to serve and to clean, and she, she undermined it. And I was the victim in a much lighter way. I was a victim of my, of my child's undermining. And this morning, we're going to see an attempt from the Apostle Paul to keep from his ministry from being undermined by a false gospel in the book of Galatians. Look at me in Galatians. We're in chapter 2. And if you've not been following along with us up to this point, I suggest you go back and Listen to the past four or five sermons and get caught up. It's too much to recount and recap. But look what it says in Galatians chapter 2, verse 1. It says, then after 14 years, I, this is the Apostle Paul speaking, he says, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along also. So right here we have 14 years have passed since Paul had last been in Jerusalem. 
And since he had last engaged with the apostles, but this time he brings two companions with him. And one of them is going to be of significance later as we continue to read. One of them, he says, I brought Barnabas and I brought Titus. Right. Those are the two companions that he brought with him to Jerusalem. Now, we got to remember the Apostle Paul in every statement he makes, he's building a case. Okay, That's what he's doing. He's building a case. Every statement is intentional by him in this letter. He's building a case. One, the first case he tried to build was chapter one, verse one, where he says he was made an apostle by Jesus himself. The second benchmark of his case was in chapter one, verse 11 and 12, where he says that the gospel that he proclaims was not of human origin. He received it by revelation of the Lord Jesus Christ. So he says, Jesus made me an apostle. Jesus taught me the gospel. Right. And so he's trying to to build his case and he's building another case here. And he's saying that I'm no less than the other 12 apostles and he doesn't need their approval. And you're going to keep him, you're going to keep seeing him speak in those words. And I want to assure you, Paul's not demeaning the other apostles, the other apostles. He's not separating the other apostles out of envy or jealousy. He's not separating himself for those reasons. Paul's not trying to, to distance himself because of that. Rather, his ministry, the ministry he's been called to, is a trailblazing work. And it requires all the authority that God has given him and all the trust he can muster up from the people that he's trying to lead. Beloved, it's just like you and me. As a, as, a, as a necessity in practicality, as a shepherd, as your shepherd, I need authority from God in order to lead you. He has to give me the authority to lead you. And in the other sense, you have to be willing to trust your shepherds to lead you closer to Jesus and each other, right? They both have to be working, fl- flowing smoothly if it's going to be a successful relationship between shepherd and those who are following the shepherd. There has to be an authority given to me by God, and there has to be a trust from you unto your elders. And Paul doesn't want anything undermining that because he's trying to lead people closer to Jesus and each other, just like we're trying to do here. And so Paul highlights the fact that he went about preaching and church planting for 14 years on the strength of the authority that God had given him. But this particular trip wasn't about the authority that the Apostle Paul had. It was on the other side of it. It was on the, the trust. Could the people who were receiving his message trust him and his message? Was it credible? Was it viable? If the people mistrust Paul's gospel, it would undermine his ministry. And so look again at verse 2 of Galatians chapter 2. This is what he says. He says, I went up to Jerusalem. He went to Jerusalem according to a revelation and presented to them the gospel I preach among the Gentiles, but privately to those recognized as leaders. I wanted to be sure that I was not running and had not been running in vain. Stop there. Paul decides to go to Jerusalem and to present the gospel that he preaches to the Jerusalem apostles. He wants to preach the gospel to them. And it almost looks like at the, just the bare reading of the text that Paul is questioning whether or not his gospel is valid. And so he goes to, so he looks like he's going to them to receive validation for the gospel that he preaches. Key word, I said it almost looks like that. Because that's not what's happening, that's not what's happening in the text. Let's read verses three through five, and then we're going to reverse engineer back up to this idea of him wanting to make sure he didn't, he wasn't running in vain. Verse three, Galatians two, it says, but not even Titus, who was with me, was compelled to be circumcised, even though he was a Greek. Remember, Titus is significant. He's a Greek. Verse four, it says, this matter arose because some false brothers had infiltrated our ranks to spy on the freedom we have in Christ Jesus 
in order to enslave us. Verse 5, but we did not give up and submit to these people for even a moment so that the truth of the gospel will be preserved for you. Beloved, let's look at verse 5 and try to reverse engineer this thing back as it pertains to him making sure that he didn't run in vain. Paul said that he didn't budge to these false brothers for a single moment in verse 5. Y'all saw that, right? Paul's like, we didn't move an inch. We didn't move a muscle. We stood firm here. And, he's, and, and the question that you have to ask is, what kept Paul from budging? Because pressure is what moves people oftentimes. So Paul had to have some kind of a rock, some kind of a, a, a standing ground so that he wouldn't be pushed and swayed by these false brothers who were pushing and swaying the people of Galatia. What was that rock? Well, remember what it said in verse 2? He went up according to what? A revelation, right? It seems like Paul may have received a new revelation while he's out there preaching and planting churches. Maybe he got a revelation and he was like, "Okay, I'm going to go up to the church of Jerusalem and make sure my gospel is right. But I don't think that's what happened. I think it's referring to the revelation that he that he got in in Galatians chapter one, verse 11. Look at chapter one, verse 11 in your Bible. Chapter one, verse 11 and 12. This is what Paul says. He says, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that the gospel preached by me is not of human origin. For I did not receive it from a human source, and I was not taught it, but it came by a revelation of Jesus Christ. Paul didn't budge from his gospel because he knew the the origin of his gospel. It doesn't matter what man says. If he received his gospel from God, that's the gospel he's running with. And ain't nobody going to twist, turn, or shape him to deny the gospel that he knows is true. And so he's standing on that. He says, I had a revelation from God. I wasn't taught it third, fourth, fifth hand. God told me this. And so I'm going to stand on this. Beloved, that's a lesson for us today, to not budge even for a moment. No matter what our cultural leaders and community leaders and political leaders tell us or try to move us to do or be, we're to stand firm on the truth of the gospel because if God has redeemed your soul, he has given you an understanding of the truth of the gospel. Don't budge from it. Things are going to sound real tempting and real good. Don't budge. They're lies covered in candy. They'll never satisfy you. And then, you know, we abandon the gospel and then we wonder why life is or our our heart is or we're in miseries because we've abandoned the truth in which which once we once believed. For something that seemed to promise riches and hope and glory and and peace and and satisfaction and, and freedom, but all it did was bind you. And so Paul is giving us example. I'm not budging from this gospel truth. I'm gonna stand on it no matter who tries to sway me. That's what he's doing. 2,000 years of man-made attacks haven't been able to sway the testimony of Christ. And beloved, we have, to do, we have to be the same. We have to stand on these truths by faith in the person and work of Christ. This is what Paul was steadfast and immovable. He was immovable on these truths. First is this, that the forgiveness of sins is found by faith in the Son of God. He wasn't budging on that. He wasn't budging on the, the reality that we are d- adopted into God's family by faith in the Son of God. He wasn't budging on that. He was standing firm on the idea that the unification of peoples, tribes, and nations from all over this world are unified in the person of Christ by faith in the Son of God. And he wasn't budging on the reality that our only means to escape the wrath of God is by faith in the Son of God. Highlight the word faith. This is the means by which we are made right with God. Faith, by faith. And there's nothing that we can do to uh, enhance initiate or solidify the work of Jesus on the cross. Look at your cross-reference sheet, Galatians chapter 3, verse 28. 
It says, for we conclude that a person is justified, how? By faith, apart from works of the law. So we see that the source of Paul's gospel kept him firm. But what exactly are these false teachers teaching? Right? So we went through this whole series of Galatians up until this point, and I've been trying not to reveal what these false teachers have been specifically teaching, and I kind of gave it up already, but this is the first time it's actually mentioned in the text as to what specifically they're teaching. Look at Galatians chapter 2, verse 3. It says, But not even Titus, who was with me, was compelled to be circumcised. All right, there's a context clue. He's showing us something here. This is what is being proclaimed and taught by these false brothers who have come in. It says he wasn't compelled to be circumcised even though he was a Greek. Verse 4, this matter arose, this issue came up because these false Jews, these false brothers, they infiltrated our ranks to spy on the keyword freedom we have in Christ in order to, another keyword, enslave us again. This is the first time Circumcision is mentioned in the letter. And it seems that these false brothers are teaching that in order to be made a child of God, you had to be circumcised. That's the means by which you're made a child of God, according to their doctrine. Now, I want you to remember this, beloved, because for us, it sounds silly. You have to be circumcised to be a child of God. This isn't a silly concept for them. Circumcision isn't some random man-made tradition. Circumcision was instituted by God. Okay, I want you to empathize with these false brothers for a moment, not because they're right, but because we so quickly demonize those who are wrong. We've not taken time to realize, oh, this is the error of the way. And you can't lead them to truth if you don't understand the error. You're going to hurt them in the process or hurt others in the process. The act of circumcision is instituted by God and was practiced by the children of God for almost 2000 years up to this point. Circumcision was a sign of the Abrahamic covenant, and you see that in Genesis 17. God put this together. This covenant was to solidify and distinguish who was and who was not the people of God. That's what the sign was there for. And God told Abraham, and this is, this is where I, I felt it in my soul, like I, I get these brothers. God told Abraham in Genesis 17 that this was going to be a permanent thing, a permanent covenant multiple times in, Gen in Genesis 17. Go ahead and read that yourself at some point. And so I can see why these false brothers said what they said and did what they were doing. Because for almost 2,000 years, they have been obeying God by, circum by, by, by the circumcision to identify themselves as the people of God. And now this dude coming out of nowhere talking about you don't have to be circumcised. And so I'm going, it make, they're coming in here like, yo, you're changing up the whole game. Wait a minute, wait a minute. This isn't a man-made tradition. God said that. They, these false brothers are pointing Paul back to Genesis 17. God said, do this, Paul, you're wrong. You're wrong. Can y'all empathize with that a little bit? I get that. I understand that. They're wrong, but I get it. Yet Paul still concludes that these brothers don't understand the way of Christ. And that circumcision is no longer a means by which we fulfill the covenant. Now, Paul's going to defend his theological position and his theological rationale in chapter 3 and, and, and ongoing. He's going to defend and show us how circumcision is not a means by which you are distinguished as a child of God anymore. But for now, Paul's not concerned with 
what those false brothers necessarily believe. That's not his chief concern. His chief concern is about understanding what the apostles are believing and preaching concerning circumcision. Guys, this is why he said, I wanted to make sure I wasn't running in vain. He wasn't trying to make sure that these false brothers weren't saying that truth. He wanted to make sure that the apostles were not commissioning brothers and sisters and were not forwarding this false truth. He said, I want to make sure I wasn't running in vain. Paul wanted to, to ensure that the, the Jerusalem apostles weren't teaching a false gospel, the gospel of faith plus circumcision equals salvation, because if they were, it would undermine his ministry. Keyword undermine. Think about that for a second. If you're, if you're living in the first century, who are you going to listen to first? The 12 men handpicked by Jesus Christ, walked with him for three years, the leaders, apostles, and elders of the, 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 the landmark church in Jerusalem, or this, 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 this disgraced Pharisee who come in and teaches some newness, right? In the first century, for Christians, when the apostles said it, that was it. If the 12 said it, done. Here come Paul on some old newness from as far as, as, far as, as, far as these people are hearing. He's a disgraced Pharisee. Weren't you believing that? Now you believe in this? You're real inconsistent, Doc. I don't know if I could follow that. They, what are they, and so Paul goes to the apostles to make sure he's not running in vain because Paul is church planting and preaching that you no longer need circumcision in order to be adopted as a child of God. And he wants to make sure that the authorities or those who claim to be authorities, because he's going to keep doing that to them, those who y'all are saying is the dons, making sure that they're not preaching that you do. Not because Paul was going to capitulate to them, but Paul was ready to check them. Why? Because he received his gospel from the Lord Jesus himself too. And he was like, I ain't let nobody preach a false gospel when, when I, while I'm around. Paul's dead set on believing truth and standing on the truth, no matter what any supposed leader says. And beloved, that's where I want you to be. I want you to stand on truth. I don't care what any elder of this church tells you. If it's not biblical, you do what God said to do. If you can back it from the text. Not, I, ha I heard a word from the sky and it told me to go do X, Y, Z. No, if the text tells you do it and we tell you don't, you do what the text says. I don't care what a community leader tells you to do. If it's anti the biblical text, nah. We follow this before anything and anyone. You cross-check everything any pastor says anywhere ever with the text. Is it true? We know God has spoken here, but I don't know what you're saying. Be a Berean in that sense. Open the word. Show me. Where's it at? Hold that. Stand on that. It reminds me of what Jesus said in John 8, 31 and 32. He says, if you continue, where? In my word. Y'all see that in your cross-reference sheet? If you continue where? In my word, you will really be disciples of mine. And then he says, you will know the truth. And what does the truth do? Truth sets you free. Continue in the word. You follow your leaders and your elders so much as they follow Christ in his word. And our, our obligation before God, and we take that serious, is to lead you only as far as the scriptures teach. And it's funny, I want you to juxtapose Jesus' statement with what those false brothers were doing. In, in John 8, Jesus says, if you continue in my word, you're really disciples of mine, and then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. But look what verse 4 in Galatians says. It says that some false brothers had infiltrated our ranks to spy on our freedom, so that our freedom in Christ Jesus in order to enslave us. I want you to notice that freedom and truth are inseparable. Freedom and truth are inseparable. In the biblical days, the hallmark of freedom is to embrace truth. 
Biblical freedom in the Greco-Roman world had less to do with your physical freedom and more to do with your spiritual, your mental, and your emotional liberation from false ideologies. Frederick Douglass had said, you know, if you can read, you'll be free. Right? The idea is you're enslaved here before you're ever enslaved here. That's the idea. And truth is what sets you free. And in this context, in the context of the book of Galatians, they're trying to enslave them to an ideology that teaches that you have to do something in and of your own ability and volition in order for God to deem you acceptable before him. Before you can be adopted as his son, you've got to do something, and that something is circumcision. But, beloved, be not a slave to that false ideology. That's not true. I don't want to call you not to be a slave to other things as well. Don't be a slave to any political ideology. Don't be a slave to any cultural tradition. Don't be a slave to any person's opinion of you. That hit. Y'all heard that? Because that's what we do. Can we just be real human for a second? Don't be a slave to someone's expectations of you. Don't be a, a slave to the shame of your dark past that keeps you from blossoming as a believer in Christ. Don't forget who you are as Christians. In Christ, if you are a believer in him, you are beloved and accepted in Christ. Your family in Christ, you're forgiven in Christ, you're redeemed in Christ, you're valued in Christ, you're cherished in Christ, you're deeply loved in Christ, you're set free in Christ, and none of that is of your own doing. All of it is a gift from God. Take heart in that, beloved. You don't have to be a slave to any of those things anymore. No amount of law keeping is going to set you free. It's only going to enslave you. And this is the very conclusion that the apostles came to in verse 6. Look at verse 6 in Galatians 2. It says, Now those recognized as important, what they once were makes no difference to me. God shows no favoritism. See how he's taking little jabs there? Like, he's separating himself, right? But then this is what he says. Key, this is the key. They added nothing to me. That's the key. He says, they added nothing to me. Now, real quick, keep a thumb in Galatians. And turning your copy of God's word to the book of Acts, it seems, and many scholars agree, that in the book of Acts, chapter 14 and 15, we have either this exact encounter or an encounter right after or before this encounter in something classically called the Jerusalem Council. In the Jerusalem Council, we see the Apostle Paul going to the apostles, having to make sure that his gospel, or having to proclaim his gospel before them, in order to make sure that those false brothers don't get a foothold, even with the apostles. Look what it says in Acts chapter 14, starting in verse 21 through 28. It says, uh, y'all there? Acts 14? Okay. After they had preached the gospel in that town, this is Paul and, and his companions, they returned to Lystra and Iconium and to Antioch, strengthening the disciples and encouraging them to continue in the faith by telling them it is necessary to go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. When they had appointed elders for them in every church and prayed with fasting and committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. Look at verse 24. They passed through Pisidia and came to Pamphylia. What are they doing? They out there preaching and planting churches. Right? That's what they do. They out there do, putting in work. Verse 25. After they had spoken the word in Perga, they went down to Atalea. From there, they sailed back to Antioch where they had been uh, uh, committed to the grace of God for the work in which they had now completed. After they arrived and gathered the church together, they reported everything that had been done with them, and they had opened the door of faith to whom? 
to the Gentiles. And they spent a considerable time with the disciples. So here is Paul and his companions proclaiming the gospel, planting churches, and who's being saved by the ministry of the Apostle Paul? The Gentiles. Okay? But now look what happens in verse 15. This, this, this same language. Look what it says. Some men came down from Judea and began to teach the brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom prescribed by Moses, you cannot be saved. Y'all see that? Some brothers coming in talking some stuff. Can't be saved unless you ascribe to the customs of Moses. It says, after Paul and Barnabas had engaged them in serious argument and debate, Paul and Barnabas and some others were appointed to go up to the apostles and elders in Jerusalem about this issue. Y'all see how this is, this is mirroring what Paul's saying, right? Paul and the homies had, had beef with these cats, and they engaged in serious, serious debate. This is, this, is, this is like bloody, not really blood, but it's harsh. Think about it. Remember, empathize with them. This is what God has told them to do for thousands of years. This new cat coming around talking about, nah, you got to convince me, doc. Verse 3 of Acts 15, when they had been sent on their way by the church, they passed through both Phoenicia and Samaria, describing in detail the conversion of the Gentiles, and they brought great joy to all the brothers and sisters. When they had arrived in Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church, the apostles, and the elders, and they reported all that God had done with them. But some of the believers who belonged to the, um, to the party of the Pharisees stood up and said, it is necessary to circumcise them. And to command them to keep the law of Moses. Here, we, here it is again. He says it twice. First and false brothers talking about you got to be circumcised in order to be saved. Now these, these former, these are Pharisees. Same thing that Paul used to be. Pharisees are now coming out saying, nah, in order to be redeemed, they have to follow the law and be circumcised. This is how you gain favor with God. you got to do something. That's what they're preaching. So now they're all there in Jerusalem. Everybody looks at the apostles as the, as the heavyweights, and everybody's looking to them and their word. What are, what are they going to say about this? Because there's new cat out here shaking things up, and this is the old way that we know. This is the traditional way that we do things. Now we, we need some clarification. Verse 6, chapter 15, it says, The apostles and the elders gathered to consider this matter, and after there had been much debate, don't read over that, they went to town, y'all. There was dialoguing, wrestling, ideas, concepts, scripture, this stuff flying. After there was much debate, Peter stood up. This is, this is one of the leaders of the church in Jerusalem. This is the apostle Peter. He stood up and said to them, now this is about to be weight, okay? This is what he says. This is weighty for them. This is a big deal. Brothers and sisters, you are aware that in early days, God made a choice among you that by my mouth, the Gentiles would hear the gospel message and believe. Stop there for a second. You may not know this. But Peter's, some of Peter's earliest converts were Gentiles. And even he was kind of like, oh, snap, what's going on? Okay, so even he, the, the apostle at the Church of Jerusalem, his, from his first converts were Gentiles. So he's like, oh, and, and he, know, he didn't circumcise them. He didn't do nothing. He just gave them the gospel. Verse 8, and God, who knows the heart, bore witness to them, giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us. He made no distinction between us and them, cleansing their hearts. How? By faith. Y'all see that? Now then, why are you testing God by putting a yoke on the disciples' necks that neither our ancestors nor we have been able to bear? 
On the contrary, we believe that we are saved through, through the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ in the same way that they are. So if you wanted them brothers that's talking about them Pharisees, that's talking about circumcision and the law, Peter just stood up and smashed all that. Right? That's, that's a heavyweight talking as far as they're concerned. Remember, Paul's like, don't, say, don't even talk in that, that language. Doesn't even matter who he is. If it's true, it's true. If it's false, it's false. Doesn't matter who the man is. Verse 12. The whole assembly became silent and listened to Barnabas and Paul describe all the signs and wonders God had done through them among the Gentiles. And I'll stop there. I was going to continue. But if you continue on in that, the brother of the Lord Jesus, the apostle who's called an apostle, James, who's another. And you read church history. James was a beast. James stands up and he basically echoes what Peter said. When he says, yeah, you're right. However, I do have some things that will help make sure that there's harmony between Jews and Gentiles. And he gives that to them at the end of this, at the, uh, near the ending of the chapter. He says, just don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. Not because it's an issue of salvation, but if you Gentiles are going to get together with us Jews, knowing that we got this old baggage on us that we're trying to shake, just don't do that in front of me. It's like being with somebody who alcohol is an issue. You don't stop pouring up the cups in front of them like, ah, ah, ah y'all can't have it, but you want some? You don't do that. You want to maintain peace. You, got, you get juice, water, sparkling, LaCroix. You get that stuff. You don't throw alcohol in front of somebody there. But it's funny because I started to, to think through what has the Lord Jesus said about this? And he said this in Matthew 23, verse 4. He says that the, that the Pharisees, they, they tie up heavy loads that are hard to carry and put them on the people's shoulders. And then I remember what the Lord said in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28 through 30. He says, take up my yoke. He said, my yoke is easy. My burden is light. Even Jesus is affirming this reality that these heavy loads, these heavy burdens, all they do is weigh you down. They don't give you favor with me. And so after all that discussion, after all that debate, after hearing the testimonies of Peter and Paul and James and Barnabas, they added nothing to Paul. They said, Paul, you, you got this on smash, Doc. You good. Look what it says in verse 7 and 8. It says, on the contrary, they saw that I have been entrusted with the gospel for the, for the uncircumcised, just as Peter was for the circumcised. So the apostles are agreeing you don't need to be circumcised in order to be a child of God. Right? Paul's going to unpack that later because God instituted something and he said it's permanent. What's he going to do with that? How's that working? Verse 8. Since the one at work in Peter for an apostleship to the circumcised is also at work in me for the Gentiles. Basically all Paul is saying is Jesus commissioned you with the right gospel. He commissioned me with the right gospel. And can't nobody tell us different. We're going to rock this thing together. I'm going to go to the uncircumcised you go to the circumcised, and together we're going to conquer this world for the namesake of Christ Jesus. Beloved, if anybody tells you that this gospel is not a global gospel, it's a lie. That term Greek or Gentile is generic in many senses, and it means anybody who's not a Jew. That's right. Anybody who's not a Jew, and in order to be a child of God, you don't have to conform, nor change, nor become a Jew in order to be a child of God. The Apostle Peter affirms that. Paul is preaching that. James has affirmed that. All the apostles and elders of Jerusalem had affirmed that. And all the elders have affirmed that. And throughout the generations, a faithful gospel-preaching church has affirmed that. And if anybody contradicts that this gospel is a global gospel, you can just go ahead and reject that. Right off rip. This gospel is to save people from every tribe, tongue, and nation. And we see the fruition of that in the book of Revelation, chapter 5, 9, and 7, 9. 
that God's plan from the beginning was to redeem all kinds of people and to set all kinds of people free, not to bind them by the rules of the Mosaic law and the Abrahamic covenant. Now, what's ironic is this, the same Abrahamic covenant that those Jews and the, the same Abrahamic covenant that those Jews were using to enslave people was actually meant to redeem free and bless them. Look what it says in Genesis chapter 12. There are three places where you see, it should be in your cross-reference sheet, there are three places where you see the Abrahamic covenant kind of being ratified and established. Genesis 12, Genesis 15, and Genesis 17. And this is when God encounters Abraham. And look what he says in Genesis 12, verses 1 through 3. The Lord said to Abram, go out from your land to your relatives. Uh, go out from your land, your relatives, and your fathers to a house and land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. Verse 3, I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse everyone who treats you with contempt. But here's the key, that last, this last line, and all the peoples of the earth will be blessed through you. It was the same covenant that they're using to enslave, but God's like, no, every nation is blessed by you, blessed through you. Paul had the gospel right all along. And we see that in verse 9 of Galatians 2. Look at verse 9 and 10. It says, when James, Cephas, and John, those recognized as pillars, you see he's doing it again. What's he trying to instill in us, beloved? The word of God is primary. The truth of God is primary. I don't care who's a pillar. I don't care who seems strong. Beloved, if you are falling away from your faith because somebody else fell away from their faith, you probably have more faith in them than the faith in the truth. That's what it does. You, God forbid your mom or your aunt or your uncle or the spiritual leader of your home or whoever it is falls from the faith. If you too fall from the faith, you had faith in their faith, not in the, not in the faith of the truth of God's word. And so he says, don't regard them as pillars. They're just men, fallible. And we're going to see that in the next chapter. But verse 9 says, when James, Cephas, and John, those recognized as pillars, acknowledged the grace that had been given to me, what did they do? They gave the right hand of fellowship to me and Barnabas, agreeing that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. They asked only that we would remember the poor, which I had made every effort to do. Beloved, at the end of the day, this is what we need to pull out of this passage, that Paul's gospel was faithful, and we ought to believe his, his testimony. The Jerusalem apostles agreed and gave him the right hand of fellowship, and there's no threat to his ministry being undermined at this particular point. Beloved, the cross of Christ is for sinners and sufferers, it's for people of all nations, and it's for those who turn and trust in Jesus. And what we receive from the Lord Jesus is salvation, freedom, and forgiveness. Beloved, I want to call you to do this, to turn from your sinful self-sufficiency. Stop thinking that anything you do is determining whether or not God has accepted you. And trust in the finished work of Christ to make you right with God. So that when you commune with him, it's not what you did last night or this morning that makes you right with him. It's the finished work of Christ. So you can communicate to him with freedom. Repent, but with freedom because he has not turned his back on those who have trusted in Christ Jesus. Go to him, run to him as fast as you can. And let the freedom in Christ that he has purchased for us lead you closer to him. Let no man's opinion of you sway you. Beloved, Lord, there's more to that text that we could delve, but I think this is a sufficient spot. And the reality is, Father, that we oftentimes allow the opinions of others to move us, motivate us, shape us, and mold us more than we let the word. We trust too easily in the opinions of man and not in your word. And yet, Father, we learn from the Apostle Paul that no matter the messenger, if the message be not right, we do not accept.
The reality is, Lord, that we are set free in Christ. For those who have faith, have repented and believed in his name, we are set free. We are not bound. We're not broken. And we got to stop living like we are. Because freedom happens first in our hearts and minds before it will ever come to fruition in our fingers and toes. Lord, if there's anyone here who is bound by shame, bound by the opinions of man, I pray that you would set them free now in the truth of Christ. If there is anyone here who is struggling with their own pride, bound by their own pride, caring so much about themselves and how much respect they want to have and get or how much... Um, um, how they want to be viewed by man, Lord. They, show them that they are bound by these things. There's no shame in humility and repentance. There's no shame in gentleness and kindness. These are attributes of you, Christ Jesus, that we get to see and emulate. Lord, if there's anyone here whose life is being run by another, I pray that they would plead the blood of Christ and that they would be set free from such things and that they would live to glorify you, O oh God, because that's what your gospel does. Would you give these people eyes to see and ears to hear? Would they recognize that freedom is in no one else and in nowhere else but in Christ Jesus? And if they would but believe the truth, the risen Lord himself said that if they believe the truth, the truth would set them free. Help us to believe it. I readily admit, Lord, it's hard sometimes to believe it. And so I pray like the man prayed, that you would help my unbelief, though I believe. And that you would bolster our faith and lead us closer to you, Lord Jesus. Everyone in this room needs you. We thank you, O oh God, and we give you the praise in Christ's name. Amen.